All right, so this morning we're going to continue on in the book of Acts, right? It's like, it's not the only book in the Bible, but for a while it's going to, going to seem like that. Um, so in the book of Acts, we are in chapter 17. So you are, if you're using the Pew Bible, which I hope you're using a Bible of any sort, um, but it's uh, on page 984. Before we get started, I want us to think about something. I want us to to think about our culture, the, the culture that we're surrounded with, which, which is the people, the, the, the organizations, the, the, the schools, the, the media, the government, just the, just the culture in general that we are, we are surrounded with. We have a New England culture, maybe a Massachusetts kind of culture, uh, you know, a, 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 a Worcester County, you know, but we're, we're part of these groups of people. Um, each of us uh, has different relationships with people, but, but we are affected by the culture around us. And one of the things that God asks us to do is to make sure that we don't get conformed into the shape of the culture around us, but we be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we look into Scripture, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we let it transform our minds so that we have more of the mind of Christ than we have the mind of America or the mind of Massachusetts, right? So, so that the mind of Christ remains growing and transforming in our lives. Well, I want to talk about something within our culture. That is this term spirituality or you're spiritual. In the, in the old days, when I was a kid, they might have said, you're religious. You know, and some people still say that. But now it's very popular to say, like, oh, I'm spiritual. You know, I'm a spiritual person. If you begin to talk to someone about Christ, they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm spiritual too. You know, and I pray and, 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 and I meditate and I do some yoga, and I do this, and I do that. You know, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. That's a very popular concept right now. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the signs around us. And I want us to be discerning for ourselves, but also discerning in our relationship with our culture. Because in Athens, where Paul is right now, in, in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16, in Athens, Paul is doing something. He's, he's looking at the culture around him, and then he is bringing Christ into the conversation. Very specific event is taking place. And so we'll read about that in a moment. But before that, I just want to lay out for you, in case you're, you know, you're just so heavenly minded, you don't know anything about spirituality or the term spiritual in our culture, I want to give you a little idea of what I'm talking about. So the definition for spirituality, according to our culture, is when you experience some connectedness with your higher self. When you seek a higher power to increase your spiritual vibration and you induce positive emotions with those vibrations, here's some of the signs that you are a spiritual person. Feeling peaceful with meditation or mindfulness practices. Avoiding negative people and their behavior. Feeling compassionate and positive all the time. Asking questions about life and death. Finding meaning and purpose in life. See, they're not all bad. They're not all scary things. Being hopeful when life is challenging. That's, you, you can be a spiritual person if you have these qualities about yourself. Living in the present moment. Staying mindful and being present. Believing that life is sacred and it should be embraced. 
having a greater level of empathy and intuition, feeling at peace when you're all alone, feeling connected to your very own soul, having a strong sense of self-worth, and lastly, believing that life is sacred and should be embraced, which I already said already. So uh, those are some signs of spirituality. And you could have conversations all day long with people in the public square, people in the marketplace, people in the schools and the institutions about those spiritual things. And guess what? No one would be upset with you. People would be happy to hear about it and engage in that conversation about being spiritual people. You see, America seems very comfortable with spirituality, but very uncomfortable with Christianity. Why is that? Why is that? We share some common goals, don't we? So many people today would say that they're spiritual, that they believe in the supernatural. But they will tell you they're just not into the God thing or the Bible thing or even the Jesus thing. They, like the people in Athens, which we'll read about in a moment, consider themselves to be evolved in their thinking. And um, being spiritual, not being Christian, helps them to, to continue to evolve. But why do so many people feel comfortable saying that they're spiritual, but not Christ followers, not disciples of Jesus Christ, not servants of the Most High God? Like I said, spirituality leaves room for the supernatural. Many people who are spiritual also believe in miracles and things that they cannot account for in a materialistic view of the world. So they want to leave the door open to the supernatural, yet they don't want to be held accountable to the living God, to the God of the Bible. Because God calls us into relationship, and that relationship requires us to be accountable to him, to follow after him, to not just do whatever we want, whatever we feel like, but to do what we have been directed to do according to the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, spirituality involves the recognition of a feeling or a sense of belief that there is something greater than myself, something more to being human than my sensory experience in my material world, and that the greater whole of which we are part of is a cosmic or divine kind of nature. It seems that people prefer to be distant from God. Even though they talk about becoming close, they're usually talking about becoming close with their own self, with their higher self, or with their soul even, but not closer to God. You see, following after an unknowable force which has no expectations on us leaves us the ones in charge of our own destiny, what we do with our lives. We're still free to become who we want to be. However, we also are free from any judgment on what we do with our lives. You can do whatever you want, and nobody can judge you for it. That is our culture this day that we live in. Do what you like. 
And everyone has to accept what you're doing and cannot judge you for it. See, spirituality allows for that. Each person discovers their own way to God, their own way of being God, their own way of being in charge of their own life and their own destiny. Now, Paul is in Athens over 2,000 years ago. And that whole city is full of idols and idolaters. And in case you don't know what idolatry is, idolatry is simply taking something good and making it into a god, small g. Something good. Maybe it is, you know, that you can be peaceful, that you can have feelings of compassion. Those are good things. But making it into God. Idols are any person or any thought or anything that consumes your thoughts, that takes your energy, that, that consumes your words. You talk about it most of the time when you have free time. You, it takes your energy and it takes your money even from you. That is an idol. So let's see how Paul faces this kind of world, this kind of culture. And see if we might learn some things about bringing Christ into our culture. For that is our job. That is what the whole book of Acts is about. Go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the the farthest parts of the earth and bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now Paul's journey has led him to a city of Athens. Let's read starting in verse 16 of chapter 17 of the book of Acts. While Paul was waiting for them, he was waiting for a few people to join him in Athens, he became deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, as Paul does, he usually goes to the synagogue first, and then with those who worshiped God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So just in, a, in the public square, in the public arena of life, the marketplace. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. We'll get into that in a moment. Some said, what is this arrogant show-off trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities, foreign gods, because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to Agapolkos, however you say that, and said, may we learn about this new teaching that you're presenting? So they seemed curious, right? Because what you say sounds so strange to us, and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians And the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling and hearing something new. That's what they spent all their time doing. Telling and hearing something new. Not something old, but something new. So this seemed like a new idea. So they were now interested. So Paul stood in the middle of that place and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, 
This I proclaim to you. So he's not calling them ignorant. He's just saying, what you don't know, here's what I want to reveal to you or show to you. All right? Don't take that word ignorant the wrong way. It just means they, they knew because they had an idol which said to an unknown God, or, or one translation says to a hidden God, like one that we can't see clearly, one that we haven't, we haven't observed, unlike the sun or the moon or the other things that they have. But to an unknown God, he's going to reveal, he's going to show them this God. I proclaim this to you. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. Now, you've seen this before in many, in many pagan societies. They'll make a whole plate of food and bring it and lay it before an idol. You know, that, that's what they're referring to here. That he doesn't need anything from you, right? He's God. So since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things, from one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth, and he has determined their appointed times and boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, make a note of that, some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So he's quoting one of their poets. That's not an Old Testament scripture. That's a poet of the Greek society. Actually a very well-known one and very uh, popular. So since then... We, since then, we are God's offspring. We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art or imagination. Therefore, having overlooked these times of ignorance, these times of not knowing, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. It's his message. The man, the one he has appointed, we know his name to be Jesus, but Paul doesn't say it. He brings about the resurrection, the idea that, that God has brought this man back from the dead, and he is the pinnacle, the, the, the one we are to look to. But when they heard this, verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him, and others said, oh, we'd like to hear from you, but maybe another time. That's how the translation goes in the Greek. It isn't, a, oh, we'd like, it, it isn't an eagerness of like, oh, let's hear some more about this. It's, it's literally like a putting them off. Like, you know what? I, I got I to go make supper. I got something I need to do. So they were a little more polite in their rejection, but both were a rejection. Some just outright ridiculed him and laughed at him. Others were just sort of excused themselves politely. In verse 33, so Paul left their presence. However, I love Luke. Luke writes, however, 
Some people joined him and believed, including, and you say these names, not me, these two people. And one of them is a woman named Demarius, I can say that, and others with them. All right, so, so there was some fruit from this ministry. There was, there was an exchange of people putting their faith in that little message that he brings to them. So let's look into this so that we may be equipped to bring the message to whatever group of people within our culture we're called to. Because some of you are, are teachers, and so you're called to students and, and fellow teachers. Some of you work in, in a factory or in, in a business, and you're called to that. Some of you, you know, are, are out there in the marketplace doing all kinds of different things. Some of you in, in your neighborhood. So you're surrounded with people who are part of this culture that believes that spiritual things are good, but Christianity is bad. That's basically what the culture is repeating again and again. Spiritual things are good, but Christianity is bad. Christians are bad, but everyone else is good. It's a strange thing that's taking place in the spiritual world, and we are called to respond, as Paul did, by being faithful with the gospel, by continuing to bring the gospel to whoever God puts in our path. So let's look at this. One thing that's important to realize is that he's using this idea of an unknown God as a stepping stone. Because we know that God is not just some distant entity. He's not saying, yeah, the unknown God is still unknown. He's not unknown. He is a knowable force. He is a personal God. And we call him Jesus or Jehovah. He has a name. And he has revealed himself in his word. God acts with intent the world isn't just sort of swirling around and whatever happens, happens. In fact, that's what the Epicureans believed, is that there were maybe some gods, but they're far away and they don't care what we're doing. We can do what we want. We'll talk about that in a minute. In a worldview that is just spiritual, you might think that there's no direct plan or a purpose for you or for the universe. It just kind of exists. And life is just to be lived to the fullest. Connecting with, with yourself is, is what's really important. But when we look in the Bible and the truth that God is intent in our world, that he has a plan for our lives, that he has a purpose for his people, he is working out his plan among us. That's what scripture tells us. In fact, the prophets of old, Isaiah 46, I am God and there is no other. I am God and no one is like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying, my plan will take place and I will do my will. Those are powerful words from God. His plan, his will. We saw it even in the Garden of Gethsemane with the Son of God who was fully God, fully man, bowing down. And saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. God has a plan. God has a purpose. He's not some unknown entity. So when you're in conversations with people, what you need to do is introduce them to the knowable God. Because they'll talk all day about these feelings or the aura or whatever is on, out in the universe. I hear people saying they pray to the universe. 
That is the most bizarre thing for me to understand. I'm praying to the universe for you. And I'm like, why? That makes no sense. To me, anyway. But again, I'm a, I'm a Bible believer, you know. So, so I look at this and say, just pray to God, the God, the one that there's no one else like him, the one who declared the end from the beginning, the one that long ago told us what was going to happen, the one who said it's his plan that's going to take place according to his will. In verse 30, uh, we read 30 through 31, that might, might be the scary part for those who would rather be spiritual. So verse 30 says, therefore, having overlooked the times of not knowing or ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to, what's the word? Repent. We've heard this message from the beginning of the book of Acts. Repent, repent, repent. What does repent mean? Just turn towards God, away from all these other false gods. Turn away from those things that you're absorbed with and that you're obsessed with and turn towards the living God. Repent. Repent. Make yourself right with him. Build a relationship through Christ with him. That's what repentance is. It's been given a bad rap, that word, and we need to redeem it. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from him. But all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You can't hide from God. He sees you. That's an encouraging thing, but also for some people a scary thing. He sees me when I'm doing wrong, right? He sees, he sees my inconsistency. He sees my hypocrisy. He sees me. God is all-powerful. The good news about knowing Jesus is that it takes away any of our fear of accountability. We are accountable to God, but we don't need to fear God because we're not condemned even when we fall and fail. We can come back to him through the blood of Jesus and the mercy of God and receive a cleansing and an acceptance because of what Jesus did. Romans 8 tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So the fear of God changes when we go through Christ, when we build a relationship with God through who who Jesus is. But the world looks at spiritual things and even gods and, and things as like a big buffet, right? The buffet worldview, we'll call it. And in the buffet, you go get a plate. You get the biggest plate you can get, right? And then you begin to pile on your plate the things you like. And the things you don't like, you skip right over. Right? So we say, okay, I like cucumbers. I like feta cheese. I don't like anchovies. You know, I like mushrooms. I like carrots. I don't like beef tongue, you know. I'd think of something nobody likes. But, but does anybody? No. Uh, but the idea is that we live in a world now, like in Athens, that people are just picking and choosing something they like from different belief systems, different ideas, even from the, even from the Bible. People like the compassion of God, of course. They like the forgiveness of God. But they'll skip over 
the part that tells them you can't live that way. I have a better plan. They just want to make their own plan. So if it doesn't fit in with their plan, they skip over it. I mean, they like the golden rule, do unto others as you would like done unto yourself. But they don't like, thou shalt not commit adultery or even look at your neighbor's wife with lust in your heart. They don't, that's, that's a little too severe. I skip that one, you know. That's what it's like to live in America today. People skipping, you know, there's people who are calling themselves Christians, but they don't believe a word of it. But they, well, I was born a Christian. I must be a Christian. It's like, no, that's not how it works. How it works is you have to be a follower of Christ, a follower of Christ, meaning you want to follow in the path that he has laid out for you. And it's revealed to us in scripture. Sadly, we have this, it's probably Build-A-Bear's fault. Remember Build-A-Bear? Remember Build-A-Bear? You could go to the Build-A-Bear workshop, and you could build what other kind of bear you wanted to. You want to put a horn in the middle of your bear's head? Go ahead. You know, stitch a horn there. You know, you want to put, you know, uh, something inside its heart that jingle jangles? You can do that, right? I think it's Build-A-Bear's fault. It's like seeped into our spiritual lives where now we're like, I'm going to build my own religion. I'm going to build my own spirituality. I like this part, so let's sew that in. I like that part. Oh, no, I don't like that color. Uh, I like this one. I mean, it's the same idea as the buffet. We are not given that privilege as creatures. We were created by God for God. According to his plan and for his purposes. Not to become gods, which is the ultimate goal of the New Age movement. You become a god. People, we got to watch out because it's everywhere. It's in the music. It's in the media. It's in the conversations that take place in the public square. If we talk about truth... But we can't go very far until Jesus comes up. Paul is interesting here, isn't he? Because in his little sermon that he gives here to the people of Athens, he never says the J word. You don't actually see J-E-S-U-S anywhere in these passages. And it's not because it's interpreted strangely. He actually chooses to wait. And somehow, by just sort of building the story and saying, listen, God sent a man who he appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising that man from the dead. It's almost like he's, he's like teasing him. He wants to see if they're serious and if they're going to like say, what's his name? Who is he? I want to know him. And then boom, God's got him, Right? Because he, the curiosity was being built during this message. It's interesting, very interesting to me. I can't wait to meet Paul one day. and say, how did you know? Well, we know how he knew. The Holy Spirit. The book of Acts isn't so much about Paul or Peter. It's about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired the disciples with words of wisdom of what to say and what not to say. And that's the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of you and me. So we don't have to be afraid. God will like lock our lips if we don't 
if we're not saying the right thing, right? He, he, if we are listening to the Spirit, He will guide us in conversations with people that go right to their heart or that build a curiosity for them to draw closer and closer and closer to God. You don't have to say it all in one coffee hour, right? You don't have to say it all, but you got to be truthful. Jesus is the truth. He claimed that he was the truth. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And guess what? And nobody likes this part. No one comes to the Father except through him. All roads don't lead to heaven. One road does. Why does the enemy in our culture fight so desperately to keep Jesus out because he is the only way. And the enemy has some power over the airwaves and over the people and over the cultures and over the groups of people to keep Jesus from there. Or they switch what Jesus actually means. There's a whole school of thought around that. Jesus is more like Buddha and Buddha is more like Jesus and we can all be happy together. Let's read those words again. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's the problem. That's what the culture doesn't want to hear. That there's only one way. And it's through the life, the the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. That's what makes him nervous. Because Jesus calls us into a relationship. And the relationship does call us into accountability. That we would follow him. Jesus says, you know, a stream, it can't be both freshwater stream and saltwater stream. It has to be one or the other. But we live in a culture that would like to say, let's just add Jesus to the soup. Mix him in there. You like Jesus? I like this person. You like that thought? I like this one. Let's, it's all the same. But if you read the word of God and if you know what Jesus said, it's not all the same. It's just not. Paul was faithful to not compromise the message of the gospel, even though... They were laughing at him. Some walked away and said, yeah, another time. God brought fruit from that situation. Paul was called a babbler. You know, he was, he was babbling about something that they didn't understand because they were highly intellectual people. They just talked and talked and talked about their philosophies and their ideas and all of that. And because his was so different and they didn't understand it, they just called him a babbler. Well, the, the word for babbler is actually translated seed picker. And a seed picker was somebody, was a bird that just went and like picked seeds from different places, right? You know, like Elaine's birds, the bird feed. Come and pick some seeds, right? This is actually understood now as a synonym for someone who was a plagiarist an undisciplined plagiarist. They thought Paul was sort of listening to different conversations and picking and choosing and putting together a new message. That's not what was taking place. But at first, that's what they, that's what they thought was taking place. But then he makes it very clear to them by the time he gets done with his short little message here, who he's talking about. 
these foreign gods that they thought he was talking about were named Jesus and resurrection. They thought resurrection was a god or goddess. Right? So they said, oh, he's introducing two new gods. One's named Jesus and one's named resurrection. This is the funny part. God said, I'm going to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So the wise people are thinking, oh, there's a God named Resurrection, and there's a God named Jesus, and he's going to tell us about these things. I mean, they just had no idea what God was doing. But God was drawing them to himself, using Paul, his servant. Quickly, the Epicureans were the agnostics of their day. They believed that there might be a God maybe out there, but that God had nothing to do with them. And all they did was live for their own happiness, their own pleasure. Sounds familiar, right? Their motto was, eat, drink, and be merry, and don't worry about your destiny. Don't worry about the future. Everything's random anyways. Do you know anybody who believes that? I do. And then there were Stoics, right? So they couldn't be more opposite. Two groups that were in charge of Athens at this time that were debating one another constantly. The Stoics, they were materialists, but they were also pantheists. They believed that there was a little bit of God in everything. A little bit of God in this microphone, in this microphone stand, a little bit of God there, a little bit of God over there, that God was just everywhere. You know anybody like that? I do. You listen to what's being talked about in the marketplace. You hear this. It's the same story from 2,000 years ago. People are still thinking the same way. Live, drink, be merry. Tomorrow we may die. Doesn't matter anyway. Da, 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 da. There, there is no afterlife. This is why the resurrection freaked them out. That was the end of their listening. Because, wait a minute. If there's a resurrection from the dead, then there is life after death. Which means, uh uh-oh, I may have chosen the wrong team to join, and I don't want to hear about that because that's going to change my whole life. And that is what Jesus does. He changes our whole life. The Bible teaches us that God is very close to us. I love when Paul says that because they believe that, you know, there's this huge distance between them and God. Like the old song, at a distance. You know, God's out there somewhere at a distance, but he's right here with us, Scripture says. Paul makes that, that point. He's very close to us. The Stoics, they believed there were gods. They believed that life had been given to all things, gold and silver and stone. But, God, but Paul makes it clear that, no, God gave life to you. To people. He breathed life into all people. They're valuable to God. They're different than a rock or a stone or a piece of gold. They're more valuable to God. When he quotes from their own poet, Artus, he's really trying to help them to see that they're on a path of searching. And some people have, like, even said some of the right things, but they need to clarify, they need to find the truth in all of that. Paul's masterful about this because he uses the foolish things to confound the wise, to bring them to repentance. And the the proof of the beauty of the gospel is that we have that little passage, that little verse, verse 34, that others, along with those two that are mentioned there, believed and followed 
followed the gospel. I want us to think about ourselves for a moment before we point our fingers out at the culture too much. How much of the culture has, have we conformed to? Are there things about our spirituality which don't actually belong in the Bible, which aren't actually the way that God communicates with us? Some of those things are seeping in, even into the church and into our lives. We need to be conscious of that, that our spiritual life is based on God's word and his Holy Spirit as he interprets his word for us. We need to realize that some of us here this morning might be here because we're just spiritual people, but we're not quite Christian people yet. And you're welcome here. If you're on a journey to find out more, that's a good place to be is in a Bible-believing church. But you should seriously consider making Jesus Lord, making him your master, submitting your life to him and your purpose to him and your, your plan for your life to him. Because his plan is best. There's lots of plans, but his plan is best. And if we will align ourselves with him, we will be saved. Saved from this world, saved from all the sickness and disease and all the problems. We will be saved and ultimately with him forever. That takes a repentance. It takes a turning, turning away and changing. And we need the Holy Spirit's help to do that. It's not something you decide to do of your own will. It's something that the Holy Spirit helps you to do so I'm going to pray and then I've asked the young people to just lead a song it's not a song we're familiar with but the words are powerful I want to ask God to use the words to clarify for any one of you and me who is not basing our relationship with God on Jesus based on something else it's kind of crept in and maybe you're not clear so you need the Holy Spirit to, to make it clear to you but I want us to know that we know that we know that Jesus is our Lord, our Savior, our Master, and our friend. And he is the one and only true God. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way in which it helps us to understand today, even though it was written many days ago, many years ago, by your spirit, please clarify in us what we believe and who we believe in. But God, the words of Jesus are true. There is no other way to you. Help us as we live in a culture that believes there's many ways to know how to follow your spirit in conversations, in communications with other people in a way that brings about fruit. We may not see everyone come to Christ, but we will see some if we are faithful as Paul was to have those conversations and to share about your great plan of salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he saves us and makes us new again.